wanted to point out uh, that song is actually uh, by a kid that was on American Idol last year. There was a, a Christian guy. Uh, I can't think of his name now. Yeah, Colton Hicks. What, what is his name? Dixon. 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 Yeah. So I, I was watching American Idol last year, and that dude got up there and was singing praise songs on national TV with his hands raised, and I was like, oh, sweet. So uh, kudos to that dude getting up there on TV, and I, you know, I was always reading, I'm that, that Christian guy, I'm that guy that sits there and reads about everybody on, online, and uh, they had said that he was having a hard time on American Idol because they were telling him not to do that, and that, but he continued to do it, so praise God, getting out there, being an example, and then uh, I, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, it's sad to say that I watch American Idol, but I was flipping through the channels, I, I have it recorded on my DVR, and there was a girl that was singing one of his songs actually, uh, this year. So that was kind of cool on the, on the piano. I don't know that if it was, had anything to do with God, but, uh, it did. Sweet. Very cool. Very cool. I don't know any of his music and it's not, uh, necessarily my style. So, uh, I like the guy, but, uh, so I'll, I'll support him in that, but it's not kind of, it's not really my style. Anyway, uh, last week we talked about, uh, raising our eyes. And so we're going to continue on with that. We read from Psalm 121, and uh, we read uh, just one of the 15 songs of ascent that we find in Psalm chapter uh, 130 through 134. And we talked about the people of Israel being called three times each year uh, up to Jerusalem, uh, where they were in remembrance of God, and God called them to do this. And as the people loaded up their families and their stuff, they would go up. And they would raise their eyes up into the hills, just like Psalm 121 says, to raise them up to the hills and see where our help comes from. And I encourage you last week to take your eyes off of yourself and uh, off of your own inadequacies and see God for who he is. He's our helper, our keeper, the God who uh, is there in the daytime and the nighttime. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. The God that saves us. And today we're going to shift uh, raising our eyes up into raising our expectations up. And you might have come to church today with, with just this realization that this is my life. This is, this is what I have in front of me. And what I mean by that is that you're, you're looking at your life and you're thinking, is this it? Is, is, this, is, is this it? I mean, maybe you were expecting something different. Maybe you were expecting to be in a different place now. Maybe you thought, uh, I expected her to come back by now. And I don't know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to help. I don't, my health is bad. I, I didn't expect that. I, I, I expected a different situation financially. Something is, uh, it, it, this is my life. And barring an all-out miracle, this is what we're stuck with. This is, this is our life. And so uh, this might be you today. And you've uh, just kind of settled in this place and you don't know how to get out of that funk. Well, I believe that God is ready to break through that funk today and shoot you like a human cannonball out of what's going on and into another chapter of your life. Your story isn't over and there's plenty of chapters to follow this one. And God's ready to, uh, to put the punctuation mark at the end of this chapter and to start a new heading and a new chapter in your life. 
As I mentioned before last week, we talked about the songs of ascent. We talked about how the priests or the ministers would go up to the temples and out of the courtyards and there would be these 15 steps. And as they took these steps, excuse me, again, I apologize. This is my wife's fault that I wear these type of jeans. I lost weight last fall and she decided that all my other jeans were uh, too loose on me. And even though I gained some weight back, she still won't let me wear those jeans because she's like, they're too big. It makes your butt look, you know, hanging down and everything. So I, every pair of jeans that I put on, and, and uh, if you've seen my closet, you know I got a lot of clothes. You can look at me and know that I've got a lot of clothes. I'm like a little girl. I have a different pair of shoes on every day, but uh, every time that, uh, that I go to put on a pair of jeans, any pair of jeans, if they're not skinny jeans, she now goes, oh, so... This is what I'm stuck with, I guess, but I did put a little weight on, so these are quite uncomfortable, but I, my wife's not even here, but I'm obedient to my wife. She's in Vegas, so uh, y'all pray for her. Uh, there's lots of prostitutes there, and I want her to stay away from all the whores. No, that's probably the other way around. Anyway, I'm sorry. Wait, I, got, I totally got off subject. Okay, anyway, the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, they would sing that Psalm 120 as they went up to the first the first psalm, uh, the first step, Psalm 120, and then 121 on the second step, and 122, and so on. And they would do this, these songs of ascent. And uh, they, would, they would sing these songs and praise God that these 15 songs of ascent are short. Because if you read some of the other psalms or you were to recite or sing, you'd be there all day trying to go up these steps. But they're, they're pretty short. And you would ascend up these steps and you would raise up your eyes as you were doing it. We don't ascend anymore. It's kind of lost in our culture and in our day and age. And there's no stairs to get into this building. There's no long hallway before you get into this worship center. It's, it's completely lost on us. It's, there's no cathedral in here. No, some dude hopefully said hi to you as you walked in. Hopefully it was me. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm not always there in front, but hopefully somebody said hi to you, opened the door for you. Uh, you came in, people were talking, you grabbed yourself a coffee, maybe a donut, maybe you had to tinkle, I don't know. You, you came in and you sat down and uh, you waited. Maybe you checked uh, your Facebook or Twitter before the band started to play. That's a typical for some people to come in on a, on a Sunday morning. The doors opened and and you just sat down. But this isn't how the Old Testament, uh, how it works in the Old Testament. The people of God didn't rush out the door and 15 minutes later be sitting down with a coffee and be ready to be entertained. They literally, uh, they, they did, see, I said they literally rose up, walked up to the temple, and by the time that they got there, their expectations were high. They were looking up, and they knew that God was going to do something that day. I'm coming up to the temple and I'm entering the temple of my God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who keeps me both day and night. I'm struggling in my everyday life, but I'm rising up. And every step that I take, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, I'm rising up into the presence of God. And I'm not just rising up in an altitude as I step, but I'm preparing my mind. And I'm raising my expectations. And by the time I get to my destination, I am a new person of God. I am a new person in the presence of God. 
How's that? Does that match? Is that up on the screen yet? We'll be here in a second. There we go. I'm a new pre- That's on your listening guide. I should be watching for that. I'm a new person in the presence of God. And that's the way to come to church on Sundays. That's the way to start your day on Tuesdays. That's the way that you come back from your lunch break after not taking a nap. That's how you go to worship. Is there anybody that came to worship today like that? Come, did you come expecting? Is that how you came this morning? Or did you arrive this morning differently? You're like, why are there so many people here so early? Don't they know that there's plenty of seats? They don't have to be here so early. Or did you arrive today saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if she's going to take me back. I don't know if we're going to be able to eat this week. I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold my job. But I'm coming expecting to hear your word. And I'm coming expecting your goodness to surround me, your presence to engulf me. And I know that you are my God. You may be sitting here this morning and you don't know a good reason to raise up your expectations. You're afraid that if you do, that your hope will burst. Why raise them up? Why? Last week we saw a God that was sitting on his throne, not some metal folding chair outside of some shack. We're talking about a God sitting on his rightful throne that says that he's for us, that he'll protect us, and he won't sleep on the job. Psalm 123 verse 1 says this, To you I lift up my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Listen, Dr. Phil or Joel Osteen can talk to you all day about bettering yourself, and that's fine. You can, you can listen to that. That's, uh, it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with supporting each other or uh, motivating each other. But if you're down in the dumps, there's only one way to get out of the dumps. Only one way. And it's not human motivation. It's lifting up your eyes to God who is this mighty and glorious and majestic throne that's, that's just, that he's sitting on. Do you picture God that way? Seriously. We, we went through Revelation, the youth did, and we, we, you know what we do? We sometimes picture Jesus as this uh, hippie, right? Long hair, beard. And we think of him as, as being this passive guy that walks around with these, these other hippies that are just kind of walking around in sandals, dirty feet, like, hey, man, how's it going? You know, like we do. We pitch, I don't know why we picture Jesus that way, but you know what happened after he went on the cross and after he rose up again? He went to this throne. And Jesus is no longer this peasant guy. He's not this guy, this hippie-looking dude anymore. He's sitting on a throne that's so majestic. He's a, he is the God of glory. I mean, he just, like, if you saw Jesus for who he is, if you saw God for who he is, there would be no question in your mind when you come to worship, when you come expecting to worship. When you come to church and you're expecting, you would know if you saw God for who he was, this majestic, I mean, just, I, it's hard to even explain. John had a hard time in Revelation explaining what this throne looked like and the angels that surrounded him. And it's so weird and so different than what our minds can even fathom 
that we like stay away from the book of Revelation, right? Because it sounds weird. It's like these angels with heads and weird stuff and their thrones and they're singing and you're like, good Lord, I, uh, find me another book to read. But this is the God that we serve. And so when we come expecting, we have to picture God in that way. We have to picture Jesus in his glory. Not the peasant hippie looking dude. And he did that. He humbled himself on earth for us. And that's part of what he did. But then he took his rightful place. Again, I sidetracked, but I thought you needed to know that. Nothing wrong with, with seeing Jesus that way, but you've got to see him for who he is. You can't look to the bank, to the best friend, to the supermom, to the government. You can't look to somebody else. You have to look up to God. Let's read Psalm 124, verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters if the Lord had not been on our side. Psalm 125 verse 1 Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Those who trust in the Lord. Verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Remember, we were talking about this God being so glorious, sitting on his throne. And it says that the Lord surrounds his people. When you get that in your head, you start to realize the promises of God. And see this glorious God that surrounds us. It changes it. It changes everything. So you can imagine the people coming up to the fifth and sixth step, coming up those steps, Psalm 124 and 125, as they're taking these steps, saying these verses. I have problems that surround me. But just like the mountains that surround Jerusalem, my Lord surrounds me, and I come expecting. That's on your listening guide as well. My Lord surrounds me, and I come expecting. We can look at Matthew chapter 26 to a familiar story that involves expecting. I understand that I'm placing a lot of scriptures in front of you, and uh, so we're actually not going to put this one on the screen, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. I'm going to re- give you the, the best, give it the best way I can here. We're going to start in verse 51 if you want to read it anyways. One of, uh, that's Matthew 26, verse 51. One of Jesus' close followers pulled out a sword, if you remember, as the high priest's servants came to arrest Jesus. The Last Supper had already occurred. Judas had already betrayed Jesus with his kiss. And so this follower pulls out a sword, and you remember he slices off the servant's ears. And he was probably going for his head, but the guy ducked and dodged and ended up being a little hard of hearing. That's somebody's expectations right there. You're not going to take my Jesus from me. That's my Lord. Jesus immediately tells the guy to put his sword back and says, those that, that take, let's see, where am, I, where am I at here? Those that take the sword will die by the sword. Then Jesus tells them that the others that are watching in horror, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he'll at once send more than 12 legions of angels. But how then 
should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so. So Jesus looks at the guy with this quizzical expression and he, he, with a snap of my fingers, do you think that I I can't bring 72,000 angels? That's what those legions are. 72,000 angels by my side with a snap of my fingers. Do you think that that can't happen? Really? You slice this guy's ear off. Imagine what 72,000 angels would do. Psalm 91 makes us a promise makes it a little personal. And it says that the Lord has commanded angels to guard us in all of our ways. Those same angels. But here's the thing. I tell you this story not to, not to cause you to think about what could happen. I can tell you stories all day long about what could happen. But it's like the ultimate cop-out, don't you think? To say, oh, well, Jesus could have had 72,000 angels, but he didn't. God could have saved me from cancer, but he didn't. God could have done this in my life, but he didn't. So, there's no miracle in Matthew 26, is there? No miracle on that day. Or is there? Matthew 26, is it not the greatest miracle in the history of the world that God incarnate God in the flesh was humbling himself on a wooden cross for you. That, my friends, is a huge miracle. And you should be really, really glad that God didn't send 72,000 angels to change things up. Amen? So we talk about expectations. There's going to be a moment in your life where you have a Matthew 26 situation. A situation in your life that God could have done something, but he didn't. But then after the situation, you realize that God had a plan for you all along. Up till this point, you probably have been ascending today. You may have descended on the way here, getting the kids in the car, realizing you had a stain on your shirt. But now you're here and you just sang some songs of praise. You've heard some of God's word. You're ascending. And some people ask, where do you attend church? Do you know that there's no attending church in the Bible? There's nothing in the Bible about attending church. The goal today is not to attend something, but to meet with someone. That's ascending. It's a mindset that we have. It's, a, it's an awareness. True ascension for us actually already happened. There's a grace reality for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus as a way of a relationship with God. That grace reality instantly takes us from the lowest of lows into the family and friends section. Ten years ago, I, about ten years ago, I, I went to L.A. and I went to the Tonight Show. And I got tickets to, to go to the Tonight Show, but I was too late to get the regular tickets. So I got this, uh, I got the, what do you call it, um, the standby ticket. I was like standby number two. And the thing about uh, Jay Leno, what he does is he reserves the seats right up front. Uh, right in front of him when he's doing his monologue for his friends and family. And if his friends and family don't show up to a particular show, it goes to the standby people. And so I was standby number two, so I, end up, I was late, but then I end up being in a pretty good spot. I'm like in the second row, sitting in front of Jay Leno as he's doing his monologue. I was pretty good seats. Well, it's like that. You, uh, <laughs> I'm totally losing my place here. I'm sorry. Uh, 
We put our faith in Jesus and we get sat in that friends and family section in the good seats and we're seated with Christ. So last week, we talked about raising our eyes and focusing on God and we've already turned our focus to raising our expectations, but now we're going to focus back on ourselves rising, back off of ourselves rising, and we're going to focus on those around us. We rose so that we could help somebody else rise. We were rescued so that we could rescue others. We went through hard times so that we could help somebody else that's going through hard times. If you hadn't already noticed, that's how God works. God, why did you allow me to go through the loss of a child? The answer should be obvious. He allowed you to go through the hard time so that you could help somebody else. You know what it's like. You know better than anybody else. And you rose out of it. Now it's time to help somebody else out, rise out of it. We sometimes forget that we've, uh, we were created to lift other people up. Our society likes to, uh, to put people down. We're cynical, right? We're judgmental. And we think it's funny to watch people fall. We like to call people names. But the gospel is completely different, and we have it all wrong. The gospel is about lifting people up around us. And we're going to look at Psalm 126. And the context of this scripture today is that the people of, of God have rebelled. See, they were, uh, it's, it's understandable because what had happened was, is God had rescued them and then he put them in enslavement in Egypt. And then when God rescued them out of Egypt, they got really excited. And they're like, thank you, God, you just took me out of that. And so that's what the, the context of, of uh, Psalm 126 is. They've got an excitement there because God has just delivered them. And it says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when the Lord took us out of captivity and brought us back to Zion, we were like those who dream. Verse 2, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. That's exactly what we're going for. We're going for a rescue that the only response that could be is that great. That our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. People are like, what in the world? What has got into you? What is going on with you? It's just this excitement. It's just bubbling up inside of you. When God rescues you like that, you can't hold it back. And the people from all their nations are talking about how the Lord has done great things for them. This is the point where you don't even need a preacher to reach the lost. This is the point where the redemption inside of you is so great outwardly that people start noticing. They can't help but notice. Something is different. You definitely don't need a preacher in that moment. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We're glad, a little repeat of what was said earlier. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That's the gospel right there. It's about planting seeds in other people. It's about sowing tears and reaping with shouts of joy. All those hard times, all those moments that that brought tears of sorrow, frustration, and hopelessness were not in vain. All those tears that were sowed and the harvest will follow. So what is the harvest? What's the harvest? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. 
He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. Jesus says, what a huge harvest. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. The harvest is the people that need to find Jesus, that need to hear the gospel. Here's the thing about the gospel. It was never intended to be on a one-on-one basis. The gospel would never spread in that fashion. If it were a one-on-one, then there would be 120, oh, maybe 75 today that would be lifted up. And that's it. But the gospel multiplies. It started with one, Jesus. Jesus had 12 followers, right? Those 12 went on and got more followers. And the gospel decided to just multiply from there. If it was one-on-one, it would just stop right here in this room. But for us, it's one-on-three. If you're doing the the multiply triad, one-on-three. Those three become nine, and those nine become 27, and that 27 becomes 81. That's how the gospel works. That means there's no telling the effect of the gospel in this room going out and affecting tens of thousands of people and lives because, that's, because we're the people that, that were lifted. We were sent out to lift others. Let's read Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. That means he lifted me up out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This is good because we see how God works. He came to us. He heard our cry and he lifted us up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he put our feet on solid ground. Here's what happens. Verse three. This is good. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And get this, many, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. God lifts you up. He lifts your eyes. He lifts your expectations. And people start to see it. And they put their trust in the Lord. And there's something huge in that statement. People start to see it. We can't lift other people up if we don't see them. Check this out. Luke chapter 10 tells the the parable of the Good Samaritan. This Jewish expert is is asking questions of Jesus, and he asks him, uh, and it says in verse 29, it says that he's desiring to justify himself. So that's selfish reasons right there. And he asks, who is my neighbor? He's asking Jesus. And Jesus begins to tell the parable of the guy that's heading from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he gets robbed. And with being robbed you know that he's going to have his clothes stripped off of him and he's going to be beat up. I know because if I were to rob somebody, I would take their clothes because then they'd be humiliated as they try to come after me. I'd take their shoes so they couldn't run after me and I'd take their license so I knew where to find them if they'd turn me in. So just be glad I'm not the one that's robbing you. Anyway, the robbers leave the guy half dead on the side of the road and a priest travels by and he travels on the other side of the road. A Levite comes by and he travels on the, on the other side of the road. And then 
this Samaritan, y'all know the story, a Samaritan walks by and he should be on the other side of the road because he's opposed to the Jews or the Jews are opposed to the Samaritans. But what does he do? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. What did the Samaritan do? He saw him. He saw him. That should be an inspiration to us, an example to us. Those that have uh, been lifted up, those that have risen out of the mire, are we looking? Because that's our job. We've been lifted up. It's our job now to lift others up. When you see that lady at McDonald's sitting by herself and you just know something's not right, it's our job to go over there and say, hey, I saw you sitting over here by yourself. Is there something I can do for you? You just look like maybe you need something. Is there something I can help you with? And you live in East Texas. And the thing about living in East Texas is you can offer to pray for anybody and they're not going to turn it down. Right? So why aren't we praying for people when we see them? And it's obvious. I was at the park yesterday with Creed, and I saw a lady just sitting on the swing, just swinging back and forth, back and forth. I was like, she doesn't have any kids here. She's just swinging. And just as I was about to talk to her, uh, she got in a van and, uh, with a bunch of other people. They might have been uh, mentally challenged. But I just saw it on her face, you know, like something's not right. So as I was walking up to see her, she jumped up and ran, went into this van. But I tried, because I was like, I can't just say it. I got to do it. You see people, and you help lift them up like you were lifted up. And you know what I like about this parable? All the questions that you and I would ask, where the Samaritan didn't ask. Questions like, uh, if I help you, are you going to rob me? What in the world are you traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho at 1130 at night? Are you an idiot? What are you doing? Uh, This is an example on how to lift somebody up. Did Jesus tell us to only help people that are worthy? No. Did Jesus say if if the guy you're helping is going to get drunk off of the help that you give him, don't help him? Did Jesus say, before you help, find out their drug history? Find out if they have a Dave Ramsey budget? No. Find out if they're responsible or not? No. He just said to give, didn't he? It didn't make a difference. didn't make a difference at all. You were shown more mercy (laughs) before you even deserved it. You were shown mercy while you were still a sinner, while you were lost. So do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But, but before you can love your neighbor, you've got to see your neighbor. You've got to go out and see it. I'm going to interject a, a quote right here that I think is pertinent to, uh, to where we're at, what we're talking about. And I don't know about you, but my childhood 
has uh, the band U2 playing in the background softly, like wherever I go, um, Streets of Gold. You know, just like I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Just these songs, mainly from the Joshua Tree album, just playing in the background. That's, that's kind of my childhood. Um, and since then, I've, I've always watched Bono, and I've watched U2, and I've watched them go in and out of what, what I deem to be Christian, in, in my opinion. But as I was preparing today, I, I was looking something up, and I came across a, a quote that Bono said, and I don't even know when he said this, but it, he said, so many Americans are committed to a vision of faith as absolute belief. This salvation model of faith ignores that we were put here for a reason other than personal salvation. This idea that we're on a journey together, we rise and fall together, we carry each other. And I think Bono's right on with this. We think that our whole reason for life on earth individually is personal salvation. You were created on earth to find personal salvation. That's true, but it's not entirely true in itself. That's not the whole story. We're blessed in order that we can bless other people. You make a certain amount of money financially so you can bless other people. You were blessed with a house so you can bless other people. You were blessed with lunch and dinner today so that you can bless other people. Did God give you three meals a day so that you could eat and be healthy? That's the question right there. He gave you three meals a day, possibly, so you could help somebody else in one one of those meals because you don't need it. I'm just going to be real. You were put on earth to find salvation for your... You were not put on earth just to find salvation for yourself because that's egotistical. It's selfish. And it's not the plan of God I don't argue that we need to find personal salvation in Jesus. We do. But then after we've been lifted, we rise, after we rise out of whatever we're in the middle of, it's our job to share the gospel with everybody else. Is it not? If our lives centered around our salvation, then as soon as we found Jesus, we would die. But we didn't. We're still here. Why? Because it's our job to lift other people up. So I say, no, we carry each other. That's on your listening guide. We carry each other. And if you truly are a Christ follower, then you'll feel the burden of hurting and the loss around you. And I'm going to be frank here. If you don't feel that burden for the hurt and the lost, something's wrong with your relationship with Christ. If you think you have a relationship with Christ and you don't feel that burden, you need to rethink it. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings or if I'm blowing up your theology, but it's true. A true Christ follower has the mind of Christ. And in the mind of Christ, he's, he's burdened by, by the hurt and the lost. So shall we. So what's wrong? We need to reexamine our relationship with Christ constantly. For a lot of you, you're probably feeling that burden, but you don't know what to do about it. And we're going to make it easier on you. Uh, we keep bringing this up, this Multiply book. But here's, here's what we're going to do. This book is a tool. 
And we're offering this tool for free. We're actually out of the books right now, but we're going to get some more. We believe that discipleship starts with us going out and obeying Christ's command. We've told you about this book for several weeks now, and we've encouraged you to get into triads, groups of three. And this isn't just a a little book study, okay? It's not about, uh, it's, it's not just a little Bible study. It's about doing life together because life is true discipleship. And I'm huge on this concept, and it's an, it's an easy way to do life together. And what I like about this triad thing is that while we're doing it, we're learning, and we're being discipled, and then we can go off and start our own triad. I'm going to go off script here because uh, I, I just want I, I to speak to you guys about this. This is an easy tool. If you have uh, any sort of burden at all, if you have Christ inside of you, you're going to feel that burden. This is an easy way to spread the gospel outside of these church walls. Here's what I want you to do. If you're not already in a triad, if you haven't already got one of these books, you meet up with two other people, three people. You meet up with two people, two other people. And you go through these, these short lessons. It takes you maybe 10 minutes, part one. One, let's see, 15, 16, 17. You're, you're looking at like eight pages. And there's questions in there. And you go through that first lesson, and there's seven questions or something that goes along with it. And you're discipling each other as you're going through. There's only three of you. So it's easy. You can find three people within the church if you haven't already. But then here's what I want you to do. You start going one week. You go the next week, two weeks. And maybe the third week. And then guess what? You start your own triad. The two other people that that aren't leading, you start your own triad. And then pretty soon, the gospel multiplies out of these church walls. Because we don't need the gospel to be just stored up inside these walls. It's kind of like... I don't know, was it David Platt or somebody said this week on, uh, on Facebook talking about the, the hurt people in a hospital that, you know, like we're, we're a body of believers and we have like the medicine that needs to go out into this world and we're kind of holding it in. We're just holding it inside of our church walls and this goes for every church pretty much. We're just kind of holding in this gospel but this is an easy way to spread it out. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, an easy thing to do. I, I, I'm, I'm just really pumped about this. The guys in my group, we, we've uh, just completed week three. And uh, my, my two other guys that, that I'm doing this with are now starting their own group. And they're going to be leaders of their own because it's not hard. As a leader, this is, let me just make it easy for you. This is, as a leader, what do you do? You read the questions and you let everybody else talk. Right? You just kind of let them go off on it, and you just kind of get to read the questions and smile and then put in your input if, if available. It's easy. So while you're having to answer the questions with somebody else, and you're sitting under there, and, and you're answering the questions, and it's good, then after a few weeks, you, you know the answers because you all have discussed it, and you've, you've already thought about it, and so you go and you spread it with somebody else. And so the easy thing to do is maybe on your lunch break with the people at work, doesn't take a whole lot of time. Our youth 
decided to do that this week. A lot of them said, hey, I'll take a book and I'll do it at lunch with the other kids. And I'm encouraging them to branch out of, this, out of these church walls because I think it's important. If you're meeting right now uh, with that, and maybe you haven't even started yet, I hope you have. But if you're meeting with people inside of this church, that's great. That's fine. That's, that's great. We all need to be discipled. And, uh, it, but the next time around, spread it to somebody else. And uh, it's, it's going to be easier. You're going to be able to go through it a lot quicker if you keep the numbers down. And if you don't try to do six or seven people in a group, um, you can do it a whole lot quicker. So I encourage you to, to do triads, to do three people. Um, it makes it intimate, and you do life with them. Uh, my two guys, uh, Caleb and Casey, are uh, good friends of mine. And uh, this isn't the first Bible study that we've done, book study that we've done. We've done several of them. So I'm doing life with these guys. These guys are my friends. These are probably my closest friends, you know, here. So uh, that's, that's what happens when you do these book studies with each other. You grow and you do life together. And you, and you, you, you grow in your, your knowledge of Christ and your understanding of Christ. We just did week three and it was talking about love and loving and how uh, do we love each other? Do we love other people? And it really challenged me. My job is, is about loving people. Sometimes from the pulpit. But do I love you guys? Do I love the youth? And it was a challenge. I was having to dig deep inside my heart. And I'm asking these guys, does it seem like I love you guys? Does it seem like, like I love you? And so I encourage you, this is a great, this is a great deal. Okay, sorry. That's a lot of greats. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm very thankful for the people that showed up today that with the time change and all, you're just, you're in control. Some of us may have had to wake up with that etern- internal alarm clock going off, but you woke us up. God, you're a, you're a faithful God to us. You give us reason to look up. You give us reason to search for you and see that you are good. You're a God of glory and majesty. Help us to see you that way, to change our expectations when we come to church when we go to worship you in other ways. Let our expectations just be uh, just lifted up before you. We come expecting to hear your word. We come expecting to be challenged. And then, God, I pray that we take your word and we lift each other up. We go outside of these church walls and we give the gospel to those that need it. I pray, Lord, for those that that aren't feeling that burden for the hurt and the lost. I pray, Lord, that they feel that burden. Because it probably means they don't know you at all. And as scary as that sounds, it's the truth. Being a follower of you, being considered a Christian, means that we have your mind. And I know that you're burdened by those that don't know you yet. God, help us in our walk that we can be examples. Help us to see those that are in hurt and that are in need. 
We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.